the reason you, you become an actor is because it feeds something in your soul that is very, very hard to define to other people. It will enable you to take uh, rejection, disrespect, unfairness, sometimes abject cruelty of the business, and enable you to go out and audition again. To move on. That's the moving on. Yeah, yeah that to go on and, and, and try again. We often say in, in our classes, before there was the business, there was you. So if, if, you, if you find like acting no longer feeds your soul, then go and find something else. Uh, did, did Iron Man have to die? Well, it really works that he did. And maybe, you know, Robert Downey Jr., I, I, I'm done. I'm ready. I don't want to keep going. But it was a great death. A couple of things. One was I was in a theater during that whole, and you can hear the roar of the audience when, when the heroes start showing up. They're screaming and yelling, and then, then Captain America is holding the hammer. The hammer. Oh, God, you, you pay money for that. Welcome to the Paco's Place Podcast. Visit abbotteservices.com for fast medical transcription service. And the podcast will begin in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Paco's Place. Our guest for today is Mr. Dom Magwilly. Wow. You got it right the first time, man. I mean, people have murdered my last name. Oh. Ares Paco Chaga. Chaga. No, Ares Paco Chaga. See, you murdered it. No, what? <laughs> it was not intentional. <laughs> I didn't know where it began and where it ended. So right? So like, really? Right, yeah. No, no. 13 characters, six syllables, one good-looking guy. No, just kidding. About <laughs> no, that. no, but uh, so what is the last name? Ares Paco Chaga. Ares Paco Chaga. Oh, my God. If you can say Perfect. Arnold Schwarzenegger, we can say yes. your name. Yes, and you know what? When, when I was starting out, my manager said, we got to shorten your name. I ah. go, and I go, oh, people are able to say Schwarzenegger. There you go. Now, Magwili, um, why did you think that was uh, murderable? Um, well, because of the reaction to it. Uh, I used to go to debate in high school, and you'd have to write your name on the, on the board. And I, I like Magwili on the board, and I remember in competition, there, this priest was looking at, he was the judge, and he was looking at his. How do you pronounce that? Really? He said, Magwili, sir. And he looked at it and he said, are you sure? <laughs> uh, yes, sir. Well, how did he want to pronounce I it? I don't know. I don't know. But you, when you deal with people who are not used to you yeah. and all their prejudices or presumptions come in and you're not, uh, 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 you do not fit any of that, they get very confused. Right. And they're trying to make it work to what they know about you. Now, was high school here in the states or? Oh no, I'm I'm a Yankee. Uh, I was born in in uh, Oakland, and mm. I went to uh, St. Joseph's High School. Where is that? In, in Alameda, California. Al Alameda. Yes. My first stop in the U.S. was Alameda back in '95. Oh my! On goodness. Stanton Street. Oh my gosh! That's where my aunt lives. Oh well. Um, St. Joseph's High School, 300 boys. In those days, it was an all-boys school, and. Uh, it, I liked it because it was small, uh -huh. and I have very fond memories of high school time, as opposed to going when in college. In college, it was I, I was off doing my own thing. That uh, when I graduated from high school, my senior ring was a big deal. When I graduated from college, eh, well, so you were in the debate team. Yes, uh, um, and I, I remember doing a a high school play, but I my my. 
my goals up to that point was I was going to be a debate coach, speech coach, and um, maybe go into law school. I don't know. But I, I, I wanted to come back to the high school and teach. But as it turns out, in my sophomore, junior year in college, I sort of did that. I sort of ran the uh, um, study hall. For, you know, I had time on my hands so I could go to the school and help out. So that in my senior year, I got really tired of, of this competition, speaking competition, and I got into acting. <laughs> I thought it was just for fun, you know, take the break and like that. And, but uh, I started getting cast in leads and I thought, oh, hey, this is all right. Still in school, huh? And I, uh, I, uh, my trajectory was I started in the chorus, I got a few leads, and then I, at, and by graduation, I was back in the chorus again. Okay. Let's talk, let's, let's rewind down to you being part of the debate team. Because yes. being part of the debate team and being an actor, they both work in, in a way that you have to convince an audience or yourself or, or someone. You have to believe in what you're doing. You have to. I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. But <clears throat> the, the difference is you think you're going to win because you can talk faster and you think your arguments are the best in, in the competition. In acting, uh, talking faster does not help. Yes. Um, actually, being still helps. The silence. Yes. Well, and, the expression. And, um, in day-to-day -day life, during really uh, important times in your life, you're not chatting a whole lot unless it's because it is there and you just gab along. Right. But uh, behavior, it's all about behavior and what it betrays about what's going on inside. That's acting. In, in debate, it's talk, 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 make points, and you're presuming that your reason and your logic will win you points. Why, why did you decide to join the debate team? And the reason why I'm, I'm asking is because I love debates. I love um, watching arguments um, and debates when I was... Um, in high school and college. And I was telling Michael, the, the, the thing missing nowadays is discourse. We don't have that nowadays. Uh, well, yeah, because the foundation of discourse is that there is enough common ground that you can see the argument right. as opposed to no. <laughs> and then you're done. And you're done. You know, and, Stonewalling. And there is no... Yeah. There's nothing to convince because they're pretty locked into their points of view. In debate, I learned that on a particular subject, I can argue on either side, depending right. on what subject matter I have and what information I've got. Right. It makes you really good to become a lawyer. Mm. But in terms of conviction, oh, God, uh, what, what do you want to talk about uh, <laughs> that'll put you on one side or the other? And, and where do you think you can be swayed? Like... Oh, okay, so uh, um, that we should continue foreign aid to the Ukraine or, or we should not. You know, things or like maybe that. just talk about the, the sides, right? Maybe just talk about it without getting personal, without... Oh, uh, we do, I, well, one, I don't think Americans are trained to discuss... I think it's a European trait. I think like in Britain, they will argue and they will talk. And then not take it personally. Yeah. Uh, 
they, they will follow an argument. Here, you, you make an argument and then the, the next step is, where's my gun? It is, there is no middle ground. There is no uh, mano a mano. You have, you've insulted me. We will duel and, and, right. and like that. So there's not a lot of Sad elbow book. room for uh, dis- discussion. My, my, I, I had uh, two roommates when I was in college, and one was an active debater in competition. The other one was just a, a, a contrary person. A devil's advocate. Yeah, this. yeah, yeah. But he was not... Um, not a troll, huh? Well, he was not, he was not into the sport of argument. Right. He, but he would argue. He just wanted to argue. Or Well, they, they spoke about the, the existence of God. My friend uh, took the side of God exists. My, my other friend, the non-debater person, he took, no, no, he, does, he doesn't exist. And they argued. Try, and sometimes they will argue to see where does it lead. And in the end conclusion was, uh, my friend who argued for the existence of God said, all those arguments make sense if at the beginning you believe in God. If you don't believe in God, they don't make any sense at all. There's no point. Yeah, so, and, and that's, that's where you leave it. But yeah. Honor is not challenged here. In, and in day-to-day, if you walk into a bar and you talk about stuff, I don't think, I think honor is always on the table. And what, what do you mean? What do you, you think I'm stupid? They're taking it personally. That's Everything the, is personal. Yeah. And uh, so culturally, I don't think Americans can debate i mean you you see presidential debates <laughs> but right. it's mostly for people to see where they align are they hearing their points of view they're not hearing maybe we can work something out right uh the, the point of it is not to make it work better who's the point of it is um who has got truth and god on their side but it's not but that's not the reason why you ditched the whole debate theme right no um i physically i was uh, competing at redlands and I got up to speak, and I'd been doing it at this point for like seven years, high school, college. I get up, and it's, I don't know if you've ever had this feeling of when you've done it too much. You, know, you I got, got up, you, I got okay. up to speak, and I just, you could, it was a, a visceral, yeah. I've done this too long. So uh, after that tournament, I, um, Did you win? Of that, of that debate, I don't think so. I was not, I was trying to learn how to teach, uh-huh. I was going to coach debate. I was not so much interested in winning. My partner was not uh, a, a competitive debater. He was um, a willing spirit, but he was not an argumentative skilled person. Right. But I didn't mind that. I was into try, how do I coach people so that they can argue well and, and, and like that. So competition in that sense went sideways. But when I found like I could not... Uh, do it anymore i thought i would hang out with the the drama cl- the drama club was right next door to the speech club so i just said hey well i'll just go over there but well among other things uh um they, they had better parties <laughs> and 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 uh the girls were nicer and um i had very interesting. My whole wardrobe changed. I, I, I mostly lived in slacks and yeah, hard shoes. But, you know, this is like 70s. This is a different era. Uh, we all dressed like we were uh, attorneys. You were still up north. Yes. And, and up north. Uh, sidebar. When I came down to Los Angeles, I was wearing sweaters. Oh, my God. Uh, for <laughs> several years before I was able to move out of that and wear T-shirts. 
It just like it is ingrained. But uh, I, the minute I became an actor, I started wearing jeans, and my bank account got a lot smaller. <laughs> and, uh, but I take was, note, people, huh? Take uh, note. Well, no, art is a wonderful thing, but yes. sometimes uh, you have so much fun acting, particularly if you're a young actor. You will devote your time to it. I, this young man, I was in a, a English class. And he got cast in this one show, and he got cast, and I never saw him in class again until I think there was a finals. And then he showed up. But he was way deep into acting. Acting. Or at least this. Were whatever. you still with your parents around yes. this time? I, uh, What was the conversation at home? Oh. Yes, well. I want to hear that one. Well, in college, I became valedictorian of my class. I did it not because I had high grade point. I did it because I gave a really good speech. Mm. They, they were grading to speaking, and I, I have skills there. So after I gave my speech, I remember going. I had made a decision I was going to go to acting school. They had a summer program at ACT, and I said I would take that. And somebody came up to me and said, so what are you going to do with your life? You, you can do anything. And I said, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go into acting. And wait, wait, wait. You said that with conviction or with, well, with hesitation? Time, no, well, In that context, I said it with conviction. I'm, I'm going to be an actor. Huh. To which they said, "How could you do this to your parents?" <laughs> I am. I am applying for uh, uh, the summer program at ACT, and I'm sitting in front of this uh, honorable uh, a judge, oh, okay. uh, Alan Alan Fletcher, and he looks at me and he says, "So you're a professional actor?" <laughs> to which I said, oh, uh, "Yes, I am." Because the minute it comes out of your mouth, it was like it was significant. It yeah. was it was like making a commitment for life. But when they start talking to you, it's like when they start asking a question. It's now it's like casting doubt. But now you have to you have oh, to well uh, <coughs> burden not, of burden of proof. Well, oh, and conviction. Yeah. And and since I haven't talked about it a lot to very many people, I was very new to this. So saying you're a professional actor, well, out loud. <laughs> Oh, and then my Filipino comes out and I go, oi. <laughs> Or sometimes I'll, I'll say, sus, Mario. But that doesn't happen a lot. So, that, <laughs> I, and, was, and so now, now, now that cat's out of the bag, you have to back it up. Yes. It's nice, right? When you profess it loudly and people hear it. There are two things you can. That's a crossroad, right? That's a crossroad. Oh, I, that that was a crossroad in my life, and uh, I had an, an offer. They said, "I'll get you into the summer program." Somebody said to me, "And and I can get you a scholarship." Mm -hmm. and, and to which I said, "Can I think about it <laughs> over the weekend?" Because I knew it was a deal. I knew that once you're once once I, I it will change significantly. Uh, and and on Monday I said yes I'll, I'm going to do it. What was the contemplation like over the weekend? I talked to friends, I, and I said, Why? What, what am I going to do? What do you think I should do? Here's my question, yes. Dom. Why would you talk to? And um, this is just an honest, um, no malice question. Yeah. Why would we? Because I do the same thing. Why would we talk to friends who aren't? Who aren't threading the road that we are about to thread, or haven't threaded the road that we are about to thread? Why do we ask them for advice? Because I find myself doing the same thing. 
I think you are hoping with your friends who are outside your circumstance that they have clarity. They, they can see what maybe you are blinded by through your passion or your newness and you just can't tell. So you followed your passion. Uh, I did. I did that. Your friends said the same thing or did your friends? Well, my friends said law school will always be there. The scholarship may not. I like that. Good. Um, and then I bought in and I bought in hard. I bought in like, yes, I am. And, and it is, it sort of like stayed with me up until things, things adjusted in I hope, 2006. Let me, let me cut you there. I yeah. hope, I hope the audience caught that when you say you bought in and you bought in hard. Yes. Because that means all in. Yes. Uh, what? I, yeah, go. I, I had a, um, so I'm auditioning all over San Francisco and Oakland like that. I have a distinct memory. Well, I should say, again, sidebar, I did not think of myself as Filipino at that point in life. I had gone out of my way as I looked around in the world around me. There wasn't, I didn't see a lot of people like me. Mm. American born, sounds like me, had my aspirations and then wanted to go to acting school. And I, so I saw myself really as a European, not as a Filipino. It wasn't until um, me working with East West Players Theater in 74. How old were you in 74? God, um, 20s, Okay. Uh, mid 20s, that I began to embrace all of me. That your, became, your ethnicity, you mean? Yes, my culture, my heritage. Did they have? Did they have to remind you? Hey, Dom, you're. Uh, well, East West Players is, is an Asian American yeah. theater company, yeah. uh, and during the seventies, that was hard style Asian American theater. Uh, East West Players, uh, Asian American theater, and Asian American studies, at that point, was very doing the same thing. They were like they were discovering themselves. They were discovering their own history. Everything they did, they discovered. Uh, Filipinos in America is brand new. Mm -hmm. Nobody talked about it before. Nobody considered it before. Nobody studied it before. So we were like, really? You mean Filipinos were here? Uh, they fought in the war in 1812? Really? And, and like, it blew your mind. They build rail railroads. Did you know that? Build railroads. They were present throughout American, American history. history. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 Jose Rizal what did an american tour yeah in 1888 i didn't even know he'd gone through america which if you're writing opens doors to all kinds of possibilities yes but uh so i was very uh, not filipino uh, uh, until i came to the east west players theater and and so my engagement in acting school was i i sort of knew i was oriental and, uh, but I would get past that because I have training. And then I came to Los Angeles and I had my, my, my prejudices were that I was one of five trained Asian or Oriental actors at that time. You never called yourself Asian at the time. It was uh, uh, the idea of, uh, well, Asian, it was a new term. Mm. Uh, the term Asian American didn't come up till 1968. So, you know, it's just, yeah. it was not part of the language then. So... Uh, when I finally made that breakthrough of me being Pinoy, uh, it's like it opened the door to amazing things. My gateway to it was being as a writer. So I was an actor who, who wrote, and I, I would write 
a variety of things that would speak to my experience as a Filipino. Uh, my wife, who is a Japanese-American woman, saw that when I did my Filipino accent, or my version, <laughs> right, that there is, more, there is more feeling and nuance through the dialect than if I did something straight, so-called straight. And she encouraged me to, to do that. To do that and living in the dialect. Wait, Maybe, what? So, so after, so during college, let me, let me backtrack because, because when, we, when we follow our passion, it's worse than going to a casino. The probabilities are, are higher, or are, the probabilities of not making it is, is higher as opposed to going to the casino and playing cards. Yes. Right? But then we go with fervent passion and conviction. You were single at the time. What was the conversation with your parents? Were they convincing you to do otherwise or were they, oh, well, did, they did they buy in at this time? No. Um, my parents lived in Oakland. I was living in Los, Los Angeles, Angeles, so I did not have that conversation a but lot. You, okay. But when I did, they would say things like, you know, law school is always available. And I said, yeah, thank you, mom. When, when they say that, how did it make you feel? And the reason why I'm asking is because up to now, parents, some parents still say that to their kids up to now. Um, I, I, I have a very, in that sense, I find it is a, a rebellious streak in me. I, I, um, and stubborn. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to be an actor. I thought my, my way to be an actor is if I wrote myself something I could be in. So I did a lot so, of writing oh, to feed my acting. So in other words, create a path where there is no path. Uh, yes. Uh, it, that was true, period. And during the 70s, nothing existed. Certainly not for Filipino Americans. Right. No, nobody could... Who even knew about Filipino Americans in 1974 except Filipinos? And, and so in the general... In those days, in the general consensus was Chinese, Japanese, what are Filipinos again? Can you spell that? And, and uh, now I look at, particularly I'll, I'll look at old TV shows and the presence of Filipinos. Pansi Pants, I don't know yeah. if you remember yeah, yeah, Pansi yeah. Pants. Um, the chauffeur in, in uh, oh God, Amos Burke, he was... Um, he was, he was a cop. He, he, the chauffeur was a Filipino guy. Uh, there, and, and now I've done research or I've found uh, information about Filipinos who would pass, them, pass themselves off as Chinese. They play ukulele uh, in, in uh, vaudeville. They are around and present. And, but um, unless you're looking for it, you would not notice. Wow. The, the, the stories of Raymond Chandler, classic uh, private detectives, often talks about Filipinos. Uh, presence as gangsters, presence as houseboys, but their presence in, in, in terms of the, uh, of the um, texture, say, of Los Angeles. They're around. Right. Just not highlighted. No, no. But, I mean, when you're not a Filipino, uh, there is no reason for them to be highlighted. They... They're telling their story from Anglo's yes, eyes, uh, yes. eyes uh, point of view. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, I found, <coughs> pardon me, I found that my writing made all that available to me. So uh, 
what did I fantasize? What did I dream about? Um, my fr I got I won an award. I won a, a Playwrights in Residence Award from the uh, Rockefeller Foundation. The title of the play was called Nobody on My Side of the Family Looks Like That. <laughs> it was a comedy musical. <laughs> it was, this is before, this is before Young Frankenstein, but it had a very similar motif. Uh, uh, three vaudeville performers go to this girls' school to perform for Christmas. What they don't know is that they, they, were, they were actually, it was, a, it was a trick to get them to come t because the person who runs it is trying to fa fashion her perfect male uh. sex object. And, and, and so she has this creature made up of uh, different parts of the body, but it's got the brain of her Filipino uh, gardener, Armando, <laughs> in her head. And um, so... I would start adding that, just just the presence of Filipinos there, uh, um, and it it began to grow. Our presence, and then when I start looking around, suddenly we are part of the landscape, and for all my purposes, since I want to be in these stories, uh, I put a focus on that. I, I include them as part of the package. I I I make them part of the population, and. Um, it becomes more satisfying, particularly if I can add that in, our, our presence, our style, our whatever. Um, the writing has served me. I, I became a, a writer who acts. So. so no one in the family looks like that. Yes. Was that the first playwright? Yes. And after the success of that, did you begin to get momentum to keep on writing or well uh yes uh it seemed like my writing was valued people liked it and they wanted me to write other things i was given an assignment to write a story about carlos bulosan are you familiar um no well filipino america well immigrant filipino poet during the 30s and 40s uh published he was very involved with the labor unions during mm. that period of time and uh, he is most known for his book, America's in the Heart, which follows all the, uh, the, the lives of Filipinos as migrant workers and, and the lives they have led. Uh, because he has also a published poet, uh, he has a certain notoriety. There have been other Filipino writers, but apparently he, his work just stays at a very high level and and recognized i was given the assignment to write a one act a, a one a, a short play about him uh, and america's in the heart this book which i struggled with so from the book you had to write a play a play that that had included uh parts of the book yeah, yeah yes. the essence of the book well it took me like weeks to try to get through it because uh, you had to read the book well no my i or get it I was the, still resisting. Ah. You know, I was like, why do I have to read this? My father went through this stuff. I don't need to read this. <laughs> My wife read it like within a week. Me, uh, I can do it a little later. But finally, like I had, I had a deadline and I had to write something. But what, what was the reason for the procrastination though? I, I think, uh, once again, it was... Uh, Rebellion? No. no, it was embracing a part of me that I... A lot of my resistance is sort of murky and I, do, I can't pinpoint exactly. I do know that when I got through it, 
it became easier to embrace. Ah. And uh, uh, the essence of it was sort of my condition. Uh, it was about a playwright trying, given this assignment to write about Carlos Bulosan, his encouraging wife, and then the ghost of Carlos Bulosan saying, so what's the problem? Oh and, my God. And then uh, uh, I would say, well, what happened in this part of the story? And what happened in this part of the story? And what happened in this part of the story? Go. This, this plot. Yes. Did the plot happen? Did, did, did art imitate life in this case? Because, because your wife really read it and read it first. You were procrastinating. And the, the concept of having Carlos Belusan's spirit in the... Uh, life imitated art, but not because I was willing. <laughs> I fought it a, a long way. The, uh, the, the, the play I wrote was rewritten. Somebody else got it, cut it, and made it better. But there was an essence in it where I speak of, well, you know, somebody took my writing and, uh, well, no. It, in, in his book, he has his book of poems and he goes to his brother and, and uh, he wants to show to him. But his brother's with these two uh, Caucasian women and everybody's drunk, falling down drunk. And he comes down, I want to show you what I've got. And one of the women takes the book and starts tearing it apart. Oh, look at this, look at this, mocking him. And the brother knocks the woman out and starts hitting her. And Bulasan, in the book, in his own book, stands between his brother and the woman and then gives her a chair so she can sit down. And, I, and the character in the play says, why would you do that? She tore up your stuff. She showed you disrespect. How could you show her that kind of compassion? To which the character says, I can rewrite it again. What? You can't write something again? What is it? What? Is your writing so fragile? And uh, it took me years to hear that line in a way that it had meaning for me. Oh, wow. Uh, that um, it is, nobody likes it. But really, the essence of the creative person is still the creative person, not their work, because the creative person can recreate it again. The essence of the creative person is the creative person and not the work. That is so true. But you know what? When did you write this? In the 70s. Can you imagine? In the 70s, you were already doing what they call now meta. Like a story within a story. It's like... It's like Inception, kind of. Well, yeah. Nice. Oh, not intended. It, it worked out that way. So, and then after that? Oh, uh, after that. Uh, oh, my God. This is nice. I mean, have you, have you, did you continue on and on and on and on? Well, the, the occasions presented themselves where they needed more Filipino work. And at, at that time, I wasn't... I wasn't the only person writing who was Filipino, but I was the most accessible Filipino writer for that theater. The, uh, and uh, the East-West Players got a quarter of a million dollar grant to essentially create an Asian-American festival, uh, uh, festival in county parks. Mm. So every weekend we would pack up uh, maybe like 50, 75 actors, dancers, musicians, and we'd go from one place to another. And I had to write material for it. To which I did, and uh, I wrote uh, a couple of things. I wrote what I call the commander's speech, <clears throat> which is uh, dedicated to my father. Um, Your father was in the Navy? Uh, no, he was in the Army. Army. Engineers. Uh, but he later, when my sister and I left the house, and we were both living in Southern California, 
you wonder what, what's going to happen to mom and dad. Well, okay. they got involved with the American Legion. It got heavily involved, and he became the commander of his particular post. And I, I sat in on one of their meetings, and if you've ever seen it, they march everywhere. Dun, 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 and they're marching in time and saluting. And so he gives a speech. Mr. Commander, <laughs> rest. That's the accent? Well, that's the best I can do. Oh, okay. And, and, and he talks about, uh, what is the great, my son asks me, what is the greatest contribution of the Filipino to the United States of America. And I must tell you, my friends, I had to think about it a long time. And, and, and it goes on and he says, uh, um, that is the, our greatest contribution, our young people and their dreams stretching out, stretching for all of their dreams that they may come true. That is our greatest contribution. Of course, my father also wishes that I were a lawyer. <laughs> so, uh, um, how about the audience, though? I mean, when when you write these plays, um, what's the demographics in the audience? Because it's I, I generally write for the East West Players Theater. It tends to be Asian American, because of the era. They tend to be younger people, mm. uh, like people of my parents' age would come because I'm I'm a son, right? But they don't know who Carlos Bolosan is. They only and they might recognize some of their own lives in it, and and it it touches them. Those who come from Asian American studies programs, uh, cultural nights, they are much more attuned to what we're trying to do. They like they get it really fast, um, but not. I mean, it's it's tough to compete against uh, uh, pizza or Vegas, so theater. Asian American theater Pizza is, or Vegas. <laughs> it, we tend to lose a lot. Um, it isn't like we're doing Mamma Mia, and and uh, but 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 then again, East West players is still around up to now. Over fifty years. Yes, that's um, for theater. Yes, that's a, that's a, that's just amazing. Is it Ruben Wee part of the? You know who Ruben Wee is? Pinoy. We had him on the you program. You why? Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, I don't know if he's doing anything with the theater now. But so did I, he do something with the theater before? I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, many things are being done at the theater. I'm no longer like. There was a time when I thought I knew every Asian American performer in the business. Now there are people who show up. I, I have no idea who they are. It, it's gotten bigger, more prolific young people with great energy i resent them so much why why because i don't have that energy anymore okay you don't have that energy anymore sounds like deja vu with regard to dom mcwilly the debater yeah what happened well, why, well, why the, don't you have the, the energy anymore i don't know you know ever yeah. since i retired in 2020 i start I, i've been taking naps twice a day twice a day and before that, I was, I was traveling out. I was teaching in front of uh, classes at Cal State Fullerton. Two classes, get on the train, come back, no naps. Uh, you know, grade papers, very strong, very focused. When did you start teaching? Uh, formally teaching, on and off at UCLA, mostly in the 80s into the 90s. The job at Cal State Fullerton started in 2011. And I was, I'm actually, I'm still teaching there, but formally I retired in 2020. Why did you go into teaching? 
I mean, I know you wanted to do that, but you were already acting, you were already writing. Why did you even spend time teaching? Uh, well, one, it's fun. Okay. I, I, I went back to school in 2006. I was the oldest person in that theater arts department. But when I graduated, I did not try to get a job in theater arts. I tried to get a job in Asian American studies. Oh. Because I realized uh, I wanted to make a difference in how young people saw themselves because I did not have that when I was younger. And so my conviction, I, I thought me as a writer and as a performer, I could maybe make a difference that way. And so my style is not like uh, other teachers who teach this in the Department of Asian American Studies. I'm, I, 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 I often refer to myself as I, I, I am amongst gazelles and I'm a moose. I mean, <laughs> we're just very, very, uh, I'm just very different from them. I, I treat uh, a class, an in-person class, like an acting class. Everybody stand up, everybody move around, talk about this, improv that. And I try to point out in amongst theater arts people, what I'm doing is sort of what they experience. Amongst non-performers, it's like I'm pulling rabbits out of the hat. They don't know what's going on. Right. It's, it's, uh, but then again, it, 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 it breaks the ice in terms of them looking at whoever it is they're interacting and vice versa. Uh, uh, yeah, it takes them to places they're not used to going. Yes. I'm a great believer in not having students sit down. If I can get them into some exercise where everybody stand up, push the tables together, we're going to move around. And these students, Caucasian or Asian American? Mix. Mixed. Mixed. Wow. Well, it's Asian American studies, so most of them are Asian, but not everybody. And, and uh, at some point, particularly in-person classes, they have to do something as a group together. Um, sometimes I will uh, initiate a, a project where um, they're acting, essentially acting. Uh, sometimes they will do it like they form groups and they will I, it is they make a video they have a song they figure out what they want to shoot they have about five to four to five weeks to shoot it in I try to make it work so that even if they could not get together on off times they can get together at least during the time when the class takes place because right. everybody's supposed to show up for class well instead of showing up for class shoot that movie how long is the class like two hours 75 minutes yeah okay one hour something yeah um this is amazing so <clears throat> when you retired in 2020 was it because of the pandemic or it seemed like the right time i i was very aware of when are you going to retire and oh. i was getting older and uh I, it's something i think i guess i suppose i should do so post-retirement, what, what, what did you do again? Did you go back to writing? Uh, I, I, went, I never stopped writing. Oh. Uh, I, I continued to write. Uh, I wrote a novel and wrote another novel. I write scenes for my acting class. These novels are available on Amazon? Uh, one is. Uh, so uh, we can, the the we Infernal can... Promise, you can get that on Amazon. Uh, so yeah, Amazon.com. There's a link in the description. That way people can, can buy it. Yes. You know, okay. Yes. Um, and and the audio version is coming out uh, hopefully sometime after October. Who did the, who who recorded? Was it you? Me. You read it. Well, I'm an actor. I might as well. Now, kids, do you have kids? I have great grandchildren. 
But let's start with kids. How old were you when you had your children? Uh, I inherited it. Ah. I inherited, uh, when I married my wife, she had two already. Okay. And, uh, but you were a struggling actor when you met your wife? It's crazy, I know. I want to I want to hear the story. Oh, oh, so oh. here you are, yes. struggling actor. Yes. You met your wife. Yes. They have two kids, instant kids. Yes. Uh, the kids were teenagers already. So what was the pitch? How, how did you say, I'm going to provide for all of you? No, nothing out loud. <laughs> God. But I can tell you, my my best man, I mean, he flew down, so I took him back to, in the airport, and he looked at me and he said, you're going to stop having to fool around now. You gotta, you're married. You're going to have to get a job, to which I did. I mean, I got a, uh, I worked as a calendar clerk for an attorney. It was a terrible job. Uh, the, the closest you ever were, were to being a lawyer. lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, well, that, uh, that is truer than you think. I mean... Really, I got that. I got it. I law, okay. Hey, right. mom. <laughs> no, no, I learned a lot. So, um, yes, he would like to uh, request a continue. Yeah, he's not feeling well. Okay, All right. uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I had a job like for the first nine months. Uh, I was covering for a friend of mine who had the job, but he got a movie and he needed somebody to fill in, so I did that for him. So, what was your relationship like with your stepkids? Oh, uh, I. I uh, I endorsed them and got out of the way. And can uh, you can you share? I have a stepson. I love him to death. I had him since I was four. He I was four. I have four biologicals and a and a stepson who is. I, I keep forgetting he's my stepson because he's like. Well, at four, you might as well be. Right. Know? I mean, functionally, day to day, who does he see? Right. So functionally, it yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah, he's fifteen now, and uh, but. But like you inherited teenagers. Yes. Pretty hard. Can you, what was? Well, well uh, they lived. So endorsed and got out of the way. Explain that. Ex well, uh, they did not live with us. They sort of lived on their own. And at some point around the college age, they all went away to school. So I did not have the obligations of having to provide for them. Uh, they both got involved religiously. Uh, one became a minister, the other one got married to a minister, and their lives sort of took that shape and continued on. Now, I don't know, I feel very close to them. But Amazing. their children, uh, like five between the two of them, five, <laughs> seven, seven grandchildren. So your grandkids. Uh, the oldest is in his 40s now. And now I have these great-grandchildren. They're all little people. <laughs> I think I've got five of those. And, you know, that, at that point, uh, that's not your fault. <laughs> so uh, I'm very, very glad to, to have them, very glad to know them. I'm very glad about all uh, uh, none the of them, family. None of them decided to be actors? Well, some thought about it. But acting is, uh, you, I mean, you can say you want to be it, but as you, the reality of bumping into it and can you manage it, is very trying let's talk about that yes bumping into it and can you manage it that that rhetoric that the latter that's that's a serious question it is as serious as when uh the, the teacher turned to me and he said so you're a professional actor I said, oh, yes i am um 
I realize now I was very, very lucky because I was still living at home. <laughs> and I was living up north in San Francisco. So a lot of my training was that, and I was, when I moved down to Los Angeles, you know, this is the 70s. You could live off unemployment in those days. And, and uh, so life was very, very different. Uh, what is it, $75 a month Ooh. for a studio apartment? Ooh. Unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my guy, yeah. $75, you're That's lucky. It's like a full tank. It's like, of gas, of exactly. Gas, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it was very, very different. Um, and and I, I, for a while, I, I worked. Uh, there was a time when I just did, I tempt. I was a temp. And, and today, people who temp, I think, have very high computer skills and, and software skills in a variety of things that I have no notion to. <laughs> Like emails, Outlook, uh, all these that like over my head, I cannot pronounce some of what they are able to do. But in those days, it was like two uh, word processing programs, WordPerfect and Microsoft Word. And I knew a lot about WordPerfect. Uh, enough that I, they asked me to train. But, you, but you know what, Dom, no. <clears throat> I'm hearing you speak. Yeah. I'm actually being inspired by by your past and 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 your journey because that's like what over 50 years also yes. of your journey yes and people nowadays they find it difficult to take the first step and it's always difficult to take the first step <clears throat> but you say yeah during my time you know um it was, easy to, it was easy to get a temp job or to go for unemployment or this and that but the reality is taking the first step has no has no time everybody who takes their first step is always scared of taking it yes right? you did did you see yourself saying i'm a professional actor as a tool as a huge um how do i say it? as a huge stepping stone to really take the first step <clears throat> You know what I mean? Like putting it out there. I am a professional actor. Whether you were faking it or not, it's right there. Now all I need to do is take the first step toward that. Uh, when I first uh, uh, admitted to being a professional actor, I was going into a school. Yes. And then I would go to a school. I did not, uh, I, I went and I auditioned for things in the middle of school they weren't large roles, but I actually got paid. And this idea of uh, auditioning, actors, it is part of the uh, process of acting for the actors is auditioning. And I, I would go out and I would audition wherever I thought I could. And, and uh, especially if I could get paid, that would be very, very special. And that was my life. Uh, uh, seeking out work, trying to get work, not getting work or getting work and trying, uh, going off to the next thing. I have a distinct memory of auditioning for the national Shakespeare company it was a touring company. I remember going up there and God, I didn't do a good job. It felt very, very sad. And I went back up to what is the green room and I looked up and I saw another audition or West Side Story. And you know, I stopped feeling bad. And I thought, oh, 
another audition. So I went out and, and tried to audition for that. It's, it is as constant as you want to make it if you keep your eyes open for it. So the rejection, part of the job. I think so. Um, I often say to, to our students that the reason you, you become an actor is because it feeds something in your soul that is very, very hard to define to other people. It will enable you to take uh, rejection, disrespect, unfairness, sometimes abject cruelty of the business, and enable you to go out and audition again. To move on. That's the moving on. Yeah, yeah that to go on and, and, and try again. I, we often say in, in our classes, before there was the business, there was you. So if, if, you, if you find like acting no longer f feeds your soul, then go and find something else. It, that doesn't work the other way around. You are not there at the service of the, of the art. The art's supposed to serve you. Fill your heart. And if that isn't happening, what else is there for you to do? You what are not a it? tree. <laughs> if you don't like where you are, get up and move. <laughs> that makes so much sense. Right? I think so. I think so. Um, but it always falls on the responsibility of the artist. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? What are your aspirations? And then how are you going to go get it? A and sometimes you get a student and they can say all the right things, but nothing moves. Why? I don't know. Oh, uh, of fear. Okay. Uh, fear of failure, fear of many things. But I can, I mean, if you're a teacher, it isn't my point, my purpose to fix it. My purpose as a teacher, because it's really important that the, t the student be their own engine. They have to be able to function when I walk out of the room. And, and I get really nervous if they can't function unless I'm there. Yeah, okay. As a teacher, it's not your, your uh, responsibility to fix them. It's your responsibility to equip them so they can fix themselves, right? That's well said, yeah. As a human being, there's that urge inside of us, especially in your case, as the teacher, as the, the person they look up to. You want to push them up. You want to enable them. How do you fight that? urge not to is that you not taking things personally you know they're just a student uh, no again, there's uh, the human human aspect to it my, my experience is when i try to stick my hands in it to uh, i usually am disappointed no no not that that uh, oh the student will disappoint me and like they didn't do it my way they they weren't even interested in what i was talking about however they got a connection with somebody else and they're doing a podcast or they're, uh, they took out their camera and decided to put something on YouTube. The, uh, it is, it's being an avatar for my, my, my aspirations is not a lot of fun and not very effective. Uh, uh, it is, uh, it's like inheriting. I don't want that responsibility because if I, if I, uh, if they do it because of my either coaching them because I or uh, encouragement or nudging, no, yeah. no, I mean I I, I believe, I'm a big fan of Vince Lombardi, old style football yes. coach. He's very old style. We do it this way, okay? Uh, yeah, it's okay, sir. Well, um, so you try that and you what you mold a, a young person in your your image, and then they don't leave you alone. It's 
it gets really sticky there. And I don't, I just assume it is a better situation if they are free and independent engines of themselves, not me. Um, having them uh, be an extension of me is, I think, a dangerous situation. Did you establish, do you establish this like the first day of class? This is established as, I am here to make you thinkers of yourselves. Okay. Um, not in so many words. I, I say that, what, we are doing a, a six-week uh, session in October. Uh, you don't learn acting in six weeks. I can point you in the direction. I can tell you that's important and that's important mm. and that's important. But then you must be the one to build your own itinerary, build your own curriculum. Not me. Uh, because you may actually find much more interesting to, things to do behind the camera. Mm. Or there may be a, a playwright or a screenwriter in you, not just uh, working, uh, you know, saying to be or not to be. There is many more opportunities that I, I, I encourage them to seek and, and things may just not stop there. They may become very, very successful in front of the camera and then drift into directing and then drift into screenwriting. It just sort of evolves that way. I ran into a cinematographer. Wow. And who, who uh, I was doing, it was Kiefer Sutherland's first directorial effort. The lead in it was Kiefer and oh, um, oh, uh, Forrest Whitaker. Whitaker. Okay. Um, they were the, the leads in this, and it was, uh, for, and, um, God, uh, Sutherland Kiefer was the director, it was first time, and, oh God, I'm sorry, senior moment, I've lost my train of thought. Uh, so this person, so Kiefer, uh, we were talking about drifting from actor to director to playwright. Oh, his cinematographer. Yeah. Uh, we were talking and the cinematographer said he was writing a novel and I said, Oh, well, if you got a chapter, I'd like to read it. And I read it and was like, it's really good. You're in the movie business. Why are you writing a novel? To which he said to me, control. Control. Movies are by their nature collaborative efforts. And it makes more sense to me now. You're right. Cause you've uh, written a novel. You, you yeah. given, you give up so much. Yeah. Um, yeah, like your synopsis, it becomes a tag, and then from there, some if you, someone if that goes to a, sc a screenwriter, it's not yours. It's there. Well, uh, uh, the, the the studio doesn't like that character. Get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. Or um, you're right. Let's let's throw the whole thing away except for the title. The title's really good. Let's try another way. And and, and, oh, yeah. and so I get it now. It's but, a Frankenstein, huh? Uh, well. It, it can be a monster if you put your, this is it. See, not to care, but if you want to do really good work, you care. So I, I don't have an answer for that. But if you're the writer, uh, write something you don't care about, but you can still do, it's pretty good. That's for film. For film? For, uh, because for you've written a novel. That's total control. Like well, as like as total camera, as you can. Like your camera, yeah, what yeah. your cameraman um, said. It is the most control yeah. that you as, as I think a creative person can have. Uh, in terms of words, is you 
all your values are there. This this novel that I've written, even in in the character, you can put it all in. No one's gonna unless somebody else buys it, and, and you know, like that. And it turns it into a movie, and you're like, oh. that's not my character. <laughs> well, see, J.K. Rowling was very, very insistent about her control over her character, over all the characters. Yeah, yeah she wanted, she wanted. I want my Harry Potter, not somebody else's Harry Potter. I mean, she was rigid about that. You look at there's a, a guy, and I, I can't. Put, um, he wrote the Inheritance series. It was a character that, and dragons, flying dragons, and there was a relationship. He wrote three very big books. This is not uh, George R. R. Uh, no, uh, Game no. of Thrones. No, no, just in Game of Thrones. Oh. It, um, but it was somebody. Uh, in how to how to train your dragon? No, just kidding. <laughs> well, it might have been right. I'm sorry. Aragon. Yes. yes. Aragon. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. They made a movie of it. They tried to combine something together. Right. It was not successful, I don't think. There were problems in the storytelling. I don't know. Uh, I, th I look now at this format. Game of Thrones had this terrific format. George R. R. Martin has, my book is about as thick as, as Martin's is. Mm -hmm. It was not intentional, but it ends up that way. It's a big book. Uh, it was on for 10 years. It, did it show, was it a weekly? Yeah. yeah. And for how long? It was like an hour long, an yes. hour and a half? An hour long. An hour long. How many movies could that possibly be? A lot. And so, see, I, I, have, this, I have an opinion about uh, Justice League, the ah. Zack Snyder the, version the, versus yes. the one that uh, Josh uh, we, Whedon we, made. We, we saw that, right? Okay. And, and, and people really like, ah, Josh Whedon, <laughs> and, and, uh, God, Zach, yeah, there's the man right there. And, and I said, oh, hold on. Josh came in. You want Josh Whedon stuff? That's what he gave you. You wanted, you know, quippy, uh, witty right, stuff? Yeah. Then, then he'll give Funny you that. Stuff, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll do it. There were story problems when, you know, he was picking up after somebody else's thing. The deal with Zach Snyder is, one, he already had a version that went out that everybody went after. So he figured, oh, we don't want to do that. And we don't want to do that. Oh, well, we do want to do this. And we do want to do this. And not only are we, what, Josh Whedon had a, a, an hour, two-hour movie? Yeah. Well, what did Zach, he had four episodes. Four, um, how, many, how many hours was that, four hours, the Zack Snyder cut? Close to four. Close to four? Or he had double, he yeah. had double the time. Of course he would be great. He, he, he knew what not to do. He had more time. Right. He spent more money. I mean, he was able to go granular on, uh, he, on the block. He did. Yeah. He, he, he figured out what everybody didn't like about Josh Whedon's, and he yeah. went against that, and, and this is my version. Well, yeah, I, I would think it would be, if not different, certainly better. And, I, it, and when I hear that they did a wonderful job, yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised, but he had more time. And he had Josh Whedon's, so go ahead, Josh. You make your version. Let's see how we do. Oh, we don't want to do that. So... Uh, that style of, of creativity, uh, of longevity, I think is, is, is a greater uh, opportunity for storytelling. Storytelling, yeah. Yes. Um, I, you know, I totally agree. Like, uh, I remember um, the Tom Clancy novel, The Sum of All Fears. Oh, okay, keep talking. A, I, lot, of, um, a lot of plot twist, a lot of arc. Uh, there's a major arc, and then every character has their own arc, right? And I was like, 
they turned it into a movie with Chris Chris Pine. And I'm like, how are you going to fit a novel, an intricate novel, into a two-hour film and make it as exciting and bring all those characters to life? And so I watched it. I was like, eh. Kind of. The author will always win. The author will always win because your imagination has no budget. It can give you everything. Then... My point to that is when when Amazon picked up on Tom Clancy, uh, um, Jack Ryan, for instance, like yes, the main character, yes, yes. they were able to go granular on the Jack Ryan story per episode to the George R. R. Martin point of view, wherein you have his books. Instead of making a movie of uh, Game of Thrones, let's bring it to HBO. Let's go one hour, one hour, one hour and tell the story of every part of the book. Uh, it, also, they had good writers. Yes. I, it did not escape me that, and I have yet to see the um, the filmed act, live action version of Game of Thrones. I, oh, I, 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 I have not finished the novel yet. George so you haven't, like, wait, you haven't seen the... Well, I've seen snippets of this and that. Oh, I, I thought you were kosher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were one of those people who hasn't seen an episode. Okay. No, no, no. I, but I mostly have resisted it because if I see the, the <laughs> live action, I'm going to imprint it in your, yeah, into my head about it, the, like. and like that. But it did not escape me that what was it, the eighth year? Things started to unravel. Right. In terms of production. Right. And, and, and for a lot of people, storytelling. But it was also when they started, George stopped writing. He, that was as far as they could go. And so the producers were writing their own yes, extensions yes. of it. That, for whatever reason, was not as, as pleasing or satisfying as the George R. R. Martin material. It's because George is a better writer. He just conceptually, uh, uh, his stuff is just better. And their one, their their work is not as good. Two, from what I read, they were already out the door. They had other projects, and they were all ready to go. And 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 finally, they were making mistakes in production that is mm -hmm. not a good sign. Uh, Starbucks. Starbucks. Yes. The cup. The cup. <laughs> a drink. Yeah. How did that get past anybody? Yes. That's not a good sign. Those are like flags of nobody's paying attention. Yes. That, that, that's, so it was very disappointing. You wanted, there have been a few satisfying conclusions to large media pieces. Um, I think the Avengers Endgame was tremendously satisfying. Did you like the ending? Oh. Uh, uh, killing Iron Man? Killing Iron Man, it was, I didn't expect it. I was stunned. It ripped my heart out. I, I was, was it necessary? You're a writer. Yes. Well, you, uh, know, you know what I noticed? What? Dom? John Wick died. Uh, sorry, spoiler alert. If you, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to watch Equalizer 3 with Denzel because I think they're going to kill him off. I'm like, why are we killing Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible, Part 2? I think they're going to, I think he's going to die. I don't know. Death and storytelling is really essential. George R. R. Martin. Killed Once, every character. Well, well, right from the beginning, like Sean, Sean, Sean Bean yeah. died, and like Ned Stark. I was like, I, "What? I thought he was a hero. Why, why did yeah. we lose him?" But the minute your heroes start dying, then there is more risk, and then there is more drama, and who is left 
to to carry on it is it is the quality of the storytelling but when did that start that that, that that's a trend well um it is a trend right i used to i guess uh, uh george r. r martin that's the first time it's noticeable to me uh walking dead uh, they did I that don't, i don't uh, i don't watch same much thing of my, yeah yeah oh uh, who's gonna get eaten by the zombie by a zombie to the, this episode or whatever but but i was like i used to be able to watch movies and not have to worry or buckle my my belt because no one's gonna die this is a feel-good movie no. i'm gonna feel some suspense but they're gonna make it in the end of the what <laughs> they died <laughs> yes yes and and but I tell you that a drama is based on risk, on your on not, threat, right? And and when you're like when Sean, shot Sean Bean, why'd you kill him? Mm-hmm. You lopped. There's no coming back from a lopped off no. head. There, that's he's gone. Yeah. When I saw that episode, because Anthony was the one who made me watch that, I was like, no way. I had to rewind that thing. Oh really? Is this a joke? I mean, what? Wow. But so. Yeah. So everybody is fair game. So everybody's what, who's going to survive this at the end is it is a harder storytelling style. Uh, did, did Iron Man have to die? Well, it really works that he did. And maybe, you know, Robert Downey Jr. Is, I've, I've, I'm done. I'm ready. I don't want to keep going. Uh, but it was a great death. Oh, yeah. It was... A couple of things. One was I was in a theater during that whole, and you can hear the roar of the audience when when the heroes start showing up. Right, they're screaming and yelling, and then then Captain America is holding the hammer. The hammer. Uh-huh. Oh God, you you pay money for that. Uh, 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 producers like they love. It. I I was in the men's room after that after. The, the movies and were, you were crying no oh. but as i was leaving i saw this young man he was looking at the mirror and he was just staring into it like he was in another place yeah he's like <sighs> what kind of storytelling is that and where do you take your audiences that's really good writing you know about the story of the the whole i am iron man well i know it it wasn't in the the first no. ending like it somebody said, oh, editor. oh, oh, we should uh, put that in. And, and Robert Downey, uh, really? I've got to die again? But <laughs> uh, well, that was good drama, right? Well, um, the style they have now is even the first Avengers, that whole uh, swarma restaurant scene yeah. was done. They'd already previewed it. It was like, no, I got an idea. Let's, let's do the swarma thing and we'll do it. Really? All right, everybody in costume. Chris, cover your face. You've got a beard. And it was just really smart. It was but very that was well good. Done. That was that was a. I'd say the whole shawarma thing was uh, was uh, um, how do I say it? A tribute to to another demographic. I don't think it was intentional. I think it was like oh, and then they all went. Now people with capes and you know uh, spandex are eating swarma, and is that funny? Let's just put it in, put it in. Um, there is there is a criticism, uh, particularly in uh, the TV series uh, out of the, the um, CW, mm. um, and and the the phrase I hear associated because there was a lot of uh, a lot of shows were being canceled from that genre. Uh, and the phrase was, woke is broke. 
I think it's because they were using um, gay women as as protagonists. There was like a lot of that, and and um, they were taking a lot of heat for it. In my opinion, the reason they didn't succeed is because the storytelling wasn't really good. I agree. Is uh, what what Neil Patrick Harris, a known gay man, is playing a heterosexual man. How I, I met your mother. And then it's a success. It Party! Is a <laughs> Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares <clears throat> if, you, if you tell a good story. Matt Bomer in uh, White Collar, same thing. A gay man playing a... Heterosexual yeah. hero, yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. But you got to tell a good story. Yes. I have to say that a lot of my notions about storytelling come from professional wrestling. Huh? Yeah, old style. I mean, like, say, the generation of the Hulk, uh, Randy Savage, Dusty Rhodes, that genre. You know that, you know that the whole wrestling thing, that's a storytelling. That's a oh. plot. That's like the Avengers, the first, the Avengers. Oh, oh uh, um, I'm watching some clips. I'm watching The Rock work. He's amazing. Because I, I don't know, did he write up all that stuff and then he's got it memorized <laughs> and he starts, <laughs> ask a question. That's not your job. <laughs> <laughs> How many people are in these stadiums? There's like 50,000 people and they're reciting rock phrases. Uh, the rock is glad to be back in Chicago. And the, <laughs> and the, and the, whole, the whole audience is chanting. is chanting yeah. with him. What are they paying for those tickets? I don't know. But, oh, that, that Shakespeare would get that kind of response. I mean, that's like theater, right? Well, then what, what is theater doing wrong? And what is what is professional wrestling doing? Because we know it's all fake, live action. No, no, no. It, um, there was a great. In the early days, they were selling hard that okay. wrestling was legit. That they had no idea who was going to win. <laughs> they didn't know how what the outcomes were going to be. I, I was I remember distinctly. I'm I'm driving back from Oakland. It's like two in the morning, and I'm hearing a conversation between Luthez and this commentator. And he's the commentator's talking. Well, we know that it's scripted, right? And Lou says, "I don't know why you brought me up here to uh, bring this up." I'm, I, I, you know, he categorically denied it. So then it had to come out. The professional wrestling became entertainment, and I remember they were. Um, there was some match and people were leaving and I was hearing co people's comments because there was blood on the, on the mat and they were touching it. I, I don't think that's real, but they put on a good show <laughs> and, and I realized people don't care if it's real. If the story is good, good yeah. if you know, the storylines are good, they'll be with you. And, and, and the rocks survived that, uh, stone cold, Steve Austin, the uh, triple H, Stephanie, the whole yeah. McMahon family yeah. had a piece of that because they... Plus there's drama. There's drama. And they're, they're kind of theaters, they call it rough theater. I mean, this is right next to Carney and Circus. This is hard style, bodies flying through the air and landing on not mattresses, not mats, but I mean, it's just wood that makes a loud sound when you hit it. You need to be muscular. Yes. How Mick Foley survived this long, I have no idea. But uh, uh, the physical uh, conflict, and if you listen to these guys talk about their profession, people who work, people who can sell a hit, 
uh, if with when the rock gets hit in the face, he just a pop and 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 like that, he gets hit. His yes. whole body uh, uh, flies. Flies. Yeah. He sells a hit, and by the same token, his his compatriots will sell the hit when they when they get popped. Um, it's theater. It is. It is really really. And if if you got some really good performers they can elevate it to a high level where the audience go, go oh that's that's great here's my question yes as a playwright yes and as a person who has access to theater why aren't you doing recurring series of shows like because you were we, we were asking the question what are what is wwf and all their iterations doing right mm -hmm. as opposed to to just a regular play right because what if every what if a play becomes a series i'm just throwing it out there well they, they have a variation on it but it, it's born out of video games uh dungeon and dragons okay. style role playing um these a variation on role-playing games where uh, the audience participates with, with known rules and, and, and things like that, where the audience gets to participate. So they, they break the fourth wall. Uh, yeah, but that's a different style. It's like reenactors or something. Okay. Um, why not? Uh, well, I think you've got to hit it first, meaning like you've got to be uh, successful and then you've got to, it is essentially come back for the next episode. Right. Yeah, and, and there are variations on it, like an improv group, like uh, the Asian-American uh, improv group, Cold Tofu. Uh, you come to see their work to watch what comes out of them. They, they do sort of the same set, but you, because they improvise it, you never know what's going to be said. And so they, that is reoccurring. To do something... Like this month, this is episode one. Yeah. Next month, episode two. Well, then, then you need also a... a I can describe it. I don't know why people are, are doing it. Sometimes it, it is too risky. Uh, it, is, it is expensive enough to hire actors and to hire sets and that sort of thing and to put your money into a sequel that may or may not survive. Well, can we just do a new play? <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, we, we have just as much luck and, and we bring in new people into it. So... Um, I, I think so. Uh, there have been variations on, particularly Asian Americans have access to martial arts skills. Mm. And, and that is as, as stunning as people who have skills in ballet. Right. Or opera singers who can hit that high note. Yeah. You see these uh, uh, martial artists who defy gravity. Yeah. I think there was... A, a kind of like a martial arts stage play. I don't know what's become of it. It has not come back. I mean, imagine remaking The Drunken Master. Because, I mean, we, we, we can use harness in a theater now. So you can do all those vibes. Well, I saw a version. It was called uh, Man of God, where these four young women, they go through these, it's like, they they discuss about their their uh, some conflict that they're having, and then they trip into this other time, another place where they have either wish fulfillment or something. And in one of those instances, uh, it becomes kind of like a kung fu movie, 
And instead of a harness lifting them, the other actors lift uh. into posture and set them down and then they do the, a movement and they lift them up again. Uh, if you do it well, the audience buys it. Yeah. And the, it, it's, it's, it is one of the great enjoy. I, I saw that. It's the only time I have ever seen fight choreography that would get an applause from an audience. <laughs> and I thought, oh, hell. So I wrote a stage play that would have a lot of that um, called Fistful of Chopsticks. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and I'm, and again, I'm trying to find a place to, to, to where, where can you stage that. All my plays tend to be uh, entertainments. Um, the, uh, the plays that are more uh, introspective, like uh, I, I don't do a lot of those. Mm. It's just uh, not my style. I tend to want to entertain. So I go do that. Oh, my fist full of chops, chopsticks. I was like going, so, so what, what, what martial arts um, discipline was featured in that play? Did you do Arnie's? Did you do all those? Um, in, in Fistful of Chopsticks, uh, I would use a mixture. I, I made a, myth, uh, uh, um, a fictional island close to the China coast where <clears throat> there was a lot of uh, trade and so a lot of cultures, so a lot of mar different mar styles of martial arts. You know that the, the movie uh, Yujimbo? No. No, um, a samurai movie takes place, oh God, what is it, 1500s, 1600s? Uh, well, the, the one in Yujimbo, uh, they had a pistol, so it was certainly mm -hmm. around the 18th, 1800s. Uh, this takes place about that same time. There's, uh, uh, it was designed so they could have interesting fight choreography of whatever. Okay. Oh, okay. They, it just has to be spectacular. That's all. And um, the deal of fistful of, of chopsticks is the lead character throws chopsticks like you would throw shurikens. Yeah, shurikens. Yeah, yeah. And and so how do you how do you do that? Uh, yes. Well, stagecraft. You. Um, oh, your Jimbo. Oh. Who's in it? Well, uh, for sure. Oh, it's it's it is been the prototype for many movies. Mm. Uh, last Man Standing. Um, uh, the Last Samurai. Last Samurai. Because Last Samurai is sword against pistol. Oh, I did not know that. With Tom Cruise, right? Like like it's it's uh, swords against pistols, right? Yeah. Uh, but. American audiences, they love the Kurosawa stuff, specifically the samurai stuff. Seven Samurai, Yujimbo, Sanjuro, uh, because it's done with a lot of style. It's, uh, oh, uh, uh, Clint Eastwood, uh, um, Fistful of Dollars, mm. a few dollars more. That was all inspired by samurai uh, material. The Arnis Escrima stuff, I'm trying to include Yeah, just... Um, just in past, just part of the uh, uh, the, the, the palette, text, the, yeah. the palette yes. of, of, uh, of my storytelling. I, I'm doing a, uh, I have a steampunk genre movie <laughs> that includes. See, I am fascinated by the presence of Filipinos in Europe around eight, the 1800s. They were there either as merchants, as students. Jose Rizal was there. Uh, he is a medical doctor. I didn't know he was a medical doctor, but he was uh, 
studying, in, um, getting his degree in ophthalmology. So he was there. Now, if people like him are around, what adventures could they have nice. in, in that? And uh, the use of eskrima, eskrima, any martial art in those days, you might as well be doing magic. Yeah. Uh, I, there is a, uh, I would watch uh, uh, YouTube of Eskrima Masters and the speed Yes, of, very of, scary. Of uh, um, you blink your eyes, you're too late. Very scary. And could cause a lot of damage to people who are not yes, aware yes. Of, of what, what the hell is going on. The, there's another um, martial art that is really terrifying. It is with a bent blade. And, and the way it, the, the, uh, the wrist curves around, it's like the, the person's carving turkey. Oh, shush. It's, it's just like, it's just, whoa, wow. just like. Wait, bent blade, but what's on top? Well, the, the handle's stiff, it's mm. upright, but the blade itself is curved. And, and either it, both sides are sharp or one side is sharp. And it's just like you hit the wrist, you've lost oh. that wrist. Yeah. Uh, the arms, uh, bicep, just, just the cutting motion of that. So that's a part of it. I, I, well, I mentioned it in the novel. The novel, let's talk about that novel. Um, and you said it was thick. What's the title of the book? What is the style? The title. The title of the book is The Infernal Promise. What's, um, without revealing it, what's it about? Uh, I, I, the fast description is Seven Samurai uh, versus the Lord of the Rings in Narnia. <laughs> Um, do they go? Do they go inside the closet to begin the story? No, they go through a cave. Oh, <laughs> so uh, uh, my my guys. Uh, <coughs> it takes place like in the eighteen uh, sixties. There's a wagon train full of immigrants uh, crossing to San Francisco, and it's a wagon train owned by these two Chinese guys. You're not revealing the story, right? Well, part of the plot, the end. Um, because I want people to buy the book. Oh, okay. well, uh, just the, what gets them into that world okay. is uh, the, uh, the so this wagon train at some point dwindles down because people start dropping off. They stay where they are. They join another uh, wagon train. And what's left is these uh, two Chinese guys, the two brothers who own the wagon train, two Japanese guys that are like Japanese adventurers, this Filipino gambler from New Orleans, uh, three nuns who are really assassins, traveling as nuns, an old priest, his servant, and two Chinese miners. And they run into these bandits that chase them into a cave. They hide out in the cave, but the cave becomes a tunnel. The tunnel takes them into a world where there are two sons and uh, where animals talk like people. And they have an adventure. Did you have this in your head? before you started writing or did the world develop as you were writing? I think it developed as I was writing. I don't know where this idea of uh, animals who talk like people came from. Were you on something when you wrote this or? I No, my mind was in a legal state of mind. Was, uh, yeah. I, I, I just had to ask. Uh, as, far, as far as I know, no, I was uh, really sober. This, this is as smart as I'm going to be all day. Wow. Amazing character development. Were the index card did or? Oh, I, I, I'm a, I'm a believer in the index yes, card technique. Too. Yeah, yeah, no, um, great believer in it. Like my, subtext, like uh, each character had a history. Yeah. Uh, uh, my, my, my index card was maybe like six inches tall. Can you please tell people how important index carding is, especially in character development? Index cards, this style, 
I have gotten from a, a teacher, and his name is Sid Fields, and he uses index cards uh, for story development. And I, I'm not I'm not taking this verbatim, but my style is I have uh, all kinds of ideas. I write them up um, in in my if I use my novel. Um, Filipino gambler, uh, one Japanese adventurer, maybe two, make them brothers. Um, one brother Amazing. likes cooking, uh, nuns. No, they're not nuns. They're assassins posing as nuns. Drop that in. So you're collecting all these ideas. And then you stare at, at this for a while and you start getting rid of some stuff, putting stuff together yes. and you put them into a kind of order. And in putting it together in an order, you start to develop a, a storyline. Well, that's interesting. Where does that go? And and because it's such a big book, I don't know how I manage that. How many arcs? Arcs? I don't count. I don't know. Um, of course, each okay. Uh, I, I I I could not number them. I have not thought about that. I I know uh, people go through something. Um, who changes they uh it was brought up to me that you want to be able to see uh, some kind of evolution i think i've got that for some of them um but imagine uh, those characters coming to life in the book in the heads of the readers uh, uh i can say that more because i i've done the reading of it and uh, i i can tell you that at one point a character in the story dies in battle and I was in tears. Who's your favorite character? In that? Yeah. Oh, you're, you're like asking, who's your favorite child? Yes. Yes, well, um, depending on the day, uh, <laughs> I can tell you who is not attended to that, <laughs> that I, I've, I've written the sequel, the book too. Really? I've got to fix it, but <laughs> it, that, that, that second part is... Um, so you're redeeming one character in the in the sequel. Yeah, I, okay. I show more respect, in, in, yeah, and that's the Filipino character. Oh, the gambler. Yes, he he figures very prominently in the second. Is he alcohol, uh, an alcoholic as well? No, oh, uh, just the gambler. He is he okay. is a freedom fighter. Okay, uh, because somehow Filipinos find themselves in yeah. that situation, uh, and um, so he does that. Uh, so it's because I. I the story sort of becomes what it becomes. The, Don't reveal it. Oh, well, I, I it was sense. a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, there is uh, um, adventure and um, hopefully it's funny. You know, it, the, the ideal storytelling is the version of the Three Musketeers with Oliver Reed and Richard Chamberlain and Michael York and Frank Finlay. So it's light. It's light, but it opens... And it's yes. Very much like the, the whole point of view of Josh Weaver. Yes, yeah, yes. That, that opens up a space where you can go for the heart. Amen. Uh, uh, and you can, you can mess with people uh, like, mm. and, and with tears. Yes. But to the technique for opening or earning that is um, a witty banter and uh, something silly and something humorous. And then you start to close it up. And I, I think that is very effective storytelling for me. I like to do anyway. I would like that's how I'd like to tell a story. Do you get attached to your characters? Remember, a while ago I asked you, do you get attached to your students? With 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 regard to that question, you 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 told me that 
you want them to realize and discover for themselves where they ought to be without them being your avatar. Yes. These characters of yours, are they avatars of yours or do you, do you develop them and you let them live their lives? I think at this point they are still avatars. Um, I'm trying to think of where a character has sort of evolved beyond whatever I planned for them. I don't think I'm at that place yet. Right now they are all speaking from my point of view. Um, regarding students, it's always a heartbreak. It's like the end of the semester and then people that you've, you've developed a relationship for a semester or sometimes 10 weeks or six weeks well, good luck, and um, right when you find work, and you know things like that. And Are you the same with your avatars, with your characters? Uh, no, because they don't go anywhere. I have them, you know. I, I I have the file, and I can rework the script. You killed one. I did, and um, you know, was he meant to? Uh, he or she were, were they meant to die? I don't know. Oh, uh, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just like. Oh, I guess he's dead now. <laughs> well, uh, let's, let's, let's follow it out. And, and uh, um, th that was unexpected. Uh, who's going to die? And, and, and to add to the sense of risk, it, it, I'll just say this about the plot and the characters. Mostly, they are immortal. Ah. Um, they are intended to to survive unless they cross they cross some path they they cross a rule where and that messes it up and then they will die but by and large they will live through it i found and that was not intentional it was like oh this I, this this notion of immortality very interesting um i don't quite know what to do about that but i seem to include that in like in the, the highlander yeah uh uh, do you? Oh God! The f not the Forever Night. Do you remember that show? It was it was running concurrently with Highlander. I was uh, maybe I was watching Highlander. Well, the story plot of this is there is a a, a, a contemporary detective who is a vampire, but he is like he's he's gone legit. He has bottles of blood, you know. So and and he's not, he's not killing humans. No, he he he's mostly does his job and, and is a non-violent uh, vampire working for the police department. But for all of them, they go back into time. They, uh, Highlander certainly does. Yeah. goes back to his other lives. And for people who are vampires, depending on how you take them, can go back as far as right when they got bit yes. the first time. Yes. So there is a sense of immortality in that. Um, in my, at least in this... This series of books, uh, this element of immortality uh, is present. Ah. And I don't, uh, I, I, I note it, but I don't quite know what to do about that or, or the reasons why it exists. So. Amazing. So, final question. Mm. Are there any regrets that you were never a lawyer? No, since I've worked for one. <laughs> Uh, I know the truth of it. Would you... Okay, final, final question. Sure. Would you do it all over again? Be an actor? Yes. Because it's it's sort of like it's the only life I know. 
um, I, I very, very much, um, I've been trying to practice this living in right now and I have to consciously nothing in front of me, nothing behind me. Bam. This is where I am. Okay. And if to live a life better, smarter, Oh, laugh more. Don't worry as much. Trust that you'll be okay. Is, is like I, what I would advise a younger version of myself. Um, it would save me a lot of energy and probably um, less perspiration and, uh, <laughs> and be, I'd be kinder to myself. But then I, I would not have known that mm. unless I'd made those terrible mistakes. Right. I would, I would say to my wife, about my wife, she has, she has been so generous with me because I, I have lived a life that would kill a good horse in a matter of hours. It, she's just so wonderfully, uh, I'm so grateful for that, that um, I am still with her and uh, we, shall, we share time together. So, um, no, it, onward. Just uh, what else has we got to do? What else has to be taken care of? The uh, the business of coulda, shoulda, woulda, it's kind of too late. Is it, the, is it the life well lived? Oh, it's not finished yet. So, so far, so good. We'll leave it there. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Dom Maguili. Put a link in the description with regard to the novel so that way you know what we're talking about. Also, once you've read the book, don't forget to put in the comments which character you fell in love with. I'm going to get the book also. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Thank you.